Welcome to the Comparison Group Podcast, a podcast for discussion and not debate. It's time for the big offensive racism show, so strap in and prepare to be offended. Before we get started on our discussion about racism, I should probably tell you, I say white, black, and other. That's it. White, black, and other. I don't get into a whole lot of black and brown people. I don't say African-American. I don't say African of American descent or American of African descent. The other day on the news, I even heard someone use the term Latinx. Now, what kind of new nonsense is that? I say white, black, and other. And while I'm at it, I'm simply too lazy to learn a whole lot of new pronouns. So if I meet you and you tell me you're a cisgendered female transitioning to a gender fluid male, I'm going to ask you your name. If you tell me your name is Bill, I'm going to call you Bill. If tomorrow you tell me your name is Shelly, I'll call you Shelly. It makes me no difference. I just don't have the time or the energy to keep up with all the labels. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but that's the way we're going to do the show. And again, it's not out of any animosity, it's just pure laziness on my part, so I hope you understand. So let's start this way. We need to know, what's the definition of racism? Let's get the definition of racism. Here's the definition of racism. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. Oh boy, what's the definition of antagonism? Here's the definition of antagonism, active hostility or opposition. Okay, so now we know what we're talking about. Someone who doesn't like a person or a group of people because of their ethnic background. For the purposes of my discussion, I want to talk about what drives racism. I think one of the drivers of racism is a feeling of unfairness. White people feel they are unfairly treated in order to benefit black or other people. Black people receive all types of preferential treatment to the detriment of white whites. And guess what? That's an absolutely legitimate complaint. Is it unfair if a black person gets a job or is awarded a contract or gets into college solely because they're black? Sure, that certainly does seem to be unfair. But here's what white people are missing. A lot of white people. The policies or programs that exist today exist because of generations of policies or programs that disadvantage black or others. That's not black people's fault. Black people didn't put those policies or programs in place all those many generations ago, but it's also not the fault of mostly white people who live today. So if you take those two points together, what you discover, the unfairness that white people feel is not the fault of black people. It's not the fault of the vast majority of white people. Both groups are being screwed today by the people who held the power to keep a system in place for so long that it's very difficult to fix it or correct it. Both groups are suffering a burden from a system put in place by people who didn't want to lose the power that they had. Think of it this way. There's a race, and the race is set up by a minority of people in power. That person one gets a 200-year head start. Person two has to wait at the starting line. So for 200 years, person one is running, person two is standing still. How do you fix that? Should person one stop running and allow person two 
to catch up? That's not fair. Should person one stop and come back to the starting line and start the race all over again with person two? That's not fair. Should person two just have to run faster and work harder in hopes that one day they'll catch up? That's not fair. The answer isn't clear. But what's clear to me is you shouldn't hold a grudge against the person who got the head start. That person was running much like you would have if the situation was reversed. Running to pay their bills, running to raise their children, just trying to get to the finish line, much like you would have. So holding a grudge against that person doesn't fix anything, but you sure can't hold a grudge against the person who was told to wait at the starting line. And particularly, don't hold a grudge against that person if they start to catch up to you. Hold the grudge against the people who controlled the race and continue to control the race. The people who recognize if they continue to pit one race against the other, they continue to stay in power. Now, if there are some referees that come along during the course of the race and try and put rules in place to make the race more fair, don't hold a grudge against them either. And don't hold a grudge against the people who take advantage of those rules. Because while they may not be fair, and while they may not be perfect, they still require a lot of hard work from the person who got left at the starting line. Set-asides or affirmative action or giving contracts to minority businesses or accepting minority students into colleges, these things all help. But you must remember, the people who benefit from these programs still have to do the work. There is no affirmative action test once you get to college. If you're hired for a job that you're qualified for based on your race, you still have to do the job. If you win a contract, you still have to complete the contract. There are no special perks or benefits once you get the position. There is no separate standard then. If you're a minority and you ultimately succeed in America, it's for the same reasons you succeed in America if you're white. Luck, knowledge, talent, and hard work. I don't know if Barack Obama got into college because he was black or not. But what I do know is once he got there, he had to have the knowledge. And I'm sure he had to work hard. When he ran for president, he had to have the talent to communicate a vision. And he also needed the luck to be running after George W. Bush. So if you have racist feelings because you feel there's a system of unfairness working against you, you may not be wrong. You're just wrong about who you're blaming for it. Let's move on to the next driver of race, which I consider to be ego and sensitivity. If you're white, it's hard to admit there's someone better than you. That's your ego. But I don't care who you are. There's always going to be someone of every race that's a better businessman than you, a better race car driver, a better doctor, a better father, a better writer, or a better podcaster. If you're black and you're falling behind, it's hard to admit it's not all the white man's fault. There does need to be more personal responsibility in the black community towards family. Income inequality doesn't cause you to throw trash in the streets or spray paint every surface you see. And you shouldn't treat a baby like it's a paycheck. If you can't afford to have a baby, don't have a baby. And if your response is, well, they do it too, what kind of screwed up thinking is that? Again, personal responsibility. So for both black, white, and also for other, 
it's our ego that prevents us from being self-critical, for taking a look at our own flaws. And if you ask any human resources professional, and I have, they'll tell you the most difficult question for someone to answer in an interview is tell me your faults, tell me your flaws. People struggle with that question more than any other. A little less ego will make it easier for you to answer. What about sensitivity? If you look hard enough for something, chances are you're going to find it. I see people today finding racism in all sorts of places I never even would have thought to look. I remember when Jennifer Lopez, Lopez and Shakira performed the Super Bowl halftime show, and a lot of white people just about lost their minds. They saw it as offensive because of the ethnic backgrounds of the performers. I watched the same show, and the only thing I thought was, are they handing out dance lessons down at the border? What about the N-word? I see people losing their jobs, losing their careers, because they were caught on tape using the N-word. Black leaders stand up and say, we can't stand for that. Those people must go. We'll boycott your company if you don't get rid of that person who used the N-word. But if I'm black and I use the N-word 20 times and I put a nice beat behind it, I'll win a Soul Train Music Award. So the sensitivity gauge to the N-word seems to be off a bit. And don't tell me it's because when it's used in a rap song, that's considered art. Because I guarantee you, if Vanilla Ice remade Ice Ice Baby and he called it Ice Ice N-word, you would not consider it art. So it's that type of inconsistency and political correctness that leads to resentment, which leads to racism. The third driver of race is just a simple lack of understanding of one another, of familiarity with one another. This is not new. This has been stated before. I think everyone understands that this country is still a pretty segregated country. I can remember when I went to college, I was in a dorm room with guys from all over and from every economic background. There were some rich guys from New York City. There were some poor guys from some of the poorest areas of New York and Connecticut. There were some poor people from the hills of West Virginia, people from all over. And it was funny to take notice of all the little differences among everyone. I can remember a couple of black guys who came from the same town in Hartford who used to say, how many classes you got tomorrow, yo? Or who was that girl you were talking to at the club, yo? And a white guy from Worcester, Massachusetts said, why do you guys put the yo in the wrong place? Shouldn't it be, yo, how many classes do you have tomorrow? Or yo, who was that girl you were talking to? Now, I don't know if that's funny to you, but it's hilarious to me. But there are all sorts of things like that. Some people call it soda. Some people call it pop. Some people say hoagies. Some people call it grinders. The sad thing is, I don't think anything's really changed. I think if I went to college today, you'd find people from different parts of the country that aren't really that far from one another. New York, New Jersey, Connecticut really don't know anything about each other. People from different economic backgrounds really don't know anything about each other. And when you consider the amount of social media and the access that's available to us today, that's a real shame. Because if you got out of your bubble, you might be surprised what you would find out. For instance, did you know there's a group called Rednecks for Black Lives Matter? They were started by a guy by the name of Greg Reese of Canton, Kentucky. Canton, Kentucky. He used to ride around with a Confederate flag on his car, but after the killing of George Floyd, he replaced it with a flag that he designed himself, one that read, 
Rednecks for Black Lives Matter. He said it took him a while to realize his problem and that there are a lot of people who are still in the dark about racism. He started a Facebook group to engage people to join his movement. He connected with Southern Crossroads, a group of self-described hillbilly rednecks from Kentucky who want to educate themselves and others. I'll read you a quote from him, and I'll post his article up on the website to comparisongroup.com. The quote is, you can sit back and say, you know, hey, this ain't my fight. And a lot of us did for a long time. But I want to be one of those out there pulling people into it because it, because it is their fight. It always has been our fight. South, North, white, black, brown, Latinos, everyone needs to get into this. If you don't know about this, why am I reading it to you? Rednecks for Black Lives Matter has a YouTube channel, for goodness sake. Why have they not been on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News? You know why. Because we're cynical about race. And the media plays on that cynicism. I'm going to try and be less cynical. I'm going to try and get out of that bubble. That bubble of the ego and sensitivity. And it's not going to be easy. Because I got a lot of problems. And I got a lot of questions I don't have answers to. Is it racist to judge someone by their name? If their name is Billy Bob or Tredavious? Is it racist to judge somebody by the way they dress? If I'm telling a story and I feel compelled to tell you the race of the person in the story, even though it has nothing to do with the story, is that racist? Is it racist if I prefer to only date within my race? Is it racist if I only prefer to date outside my race? Is it racist if I dive off of an airplane before they close the doors because someone of Middle Eastern descent sits down next to me? If someone proves they're not racist because they say they have many black friends, does that make me racist because I have no Asian friends? I think the answer to all of those questions is yes, it's racist, but I'm not so sure. But if those things are racist, then let's just admit it. Because the first step to fixing the problem is admitting you've got a problem, right? So let's admit that maybe we all have a little bit of racism, discrimination, prejudice in us. But that's tough to live with, to call everyone racist. So as promised, I'm going to give you the new guidelines for racism in America. You probably didn't notice, but there was one word missing from the definition of racism. Go back and listen to the beginning of the show if you want. Play the definition again. Can anyone guess what word was missing from that definition? The word hate was nowhere in a definition of racism. So that's the new guideline. That's the new definition of racism. You're racist if you hate any person or group of people simply because of their ethnic background. That makes it way easier. Just don't hate anyone that you don't know anything about and the rest of it we can figure out as we go along. Lastly, let me just say this. Racism, of course, does exist in this country. Always has. I hear that question being asked sometimes on the news. Is there a systemic racism in America? And sometimes the people saying no, it doesn't exist, are the exact same people who want pats on the back for fixing it. For years, I heard there was no racism in the criminal justice system. And then all of a sudden, the racism in the criminal justice system had been fixed with criminal justice reform. So the racism does exist, but we're not going to get rid of it through diversity training at work or for through white people having a sit down with Reverend Al Sharpton every time they say something wrong. It'll only get fixed if the good people out there, the people who listen to the Comparison Group podcast, talk to your friends, talk to your family members. You know who they are. Don't laugh it off when they say something racist. Don't ignore it when someone makes an overgeneralization that all police are bad or every Trump voter is a racist. 
if people are going to learn, they have to learn from their own. It has to be taught at home. It has to be taught to the children. It has to be taught to the mothers and fathers so they can teach the children. And we have to recognize that there may just be some people out there that have that darkness in them because they were never taught as children. And they had an upbringing that wasn't so great. If someone becomes an alcoholic because they had an alcoholic father and his father before him was an alcoholic, we try and help them. We don't treat them with scorn. Maybe we should be doing the same thing with people who have racist tendencies. Now, I know some people will be offended by what they heard in this show, which is good. This is the Offensive Racism Show. And people will be offended because they'll say, well, wait a second. Are you saying that white supremacists and people who had slaves and people who lynched blacks were just running a race and that it was okay? And of course, that's not what I'm saying, which is why I always say the vast majority of whites or some whites or some blacks or the vast majority of blacks. And we really do need to get to the point where we don't have to qualify remarks to explain that we're not ever excusing violence or murder or sadistic hatred of people. So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in the past 50 or 60 years, most people of both races are just trying to live the American dream. So let's not go over the same arguments that we've been making for years, trying to figure out who should shoulder the blame when one group or the other is falling behind. Focus on what I said. Number one, unfairness that each group feels is valid, but know who to blame for it. Number two, less ego and sensitivity about race will go a long way. And number three, let's get out of our bubble and let's start to understand one another a little more and let's start to see things from the other person's perspective. And if you want to see what it looks like when people in power try and pit one race against the other to stay in power, go find a clip of Lindsey Graham trying to pit black farmers against white farmers. I won't play it here. We're coming to the end of the show, but you really should go and check it out. Maybe I'll post it to the website, thecomparisongroup.com. You know what? All right, I'll play the clip for you here. Hang on. Okay, here it is. Included in the massive COVID relief bill, $5 billion in assistance to black farmers. The bill is approved. The money will go toward paying off the debt of disadvantaged black farmers. It will also fund a racial equity commission at the USDA to address long existing discrimination. Let me give you an example of something that really bothers me. In this bill, if you're a farmer, your loan will be forgiven up to 120% of your loan, not 100%, but 120% of your loan if you're socially disadvantaged, if you're African-American, some other minority, but if you're a white person, if you're a white woman, no forgiveness as reparations. What does that got to do with COVID? God help us all uh, if we don't check and balance them in 2022. Now let's forget for a moment that Lindsey Graham actually just brought up checks and balances on an administration. And let's focus on, that's a perfect, clear example of what I've talked about. A person in power pitting one race against another. And just a little bit of curiosity about what he said would inform you that the reason why it's 120% loan forgiveness and not 100% loan forgiveness is because it includes the cost of the years that black or minority farmers were disadvantaged, which includes the cost of taxes they had to pay because they couldn't have the debt forgiven, as they should have. 
it includes the interest that has accrued, accrued on the debt. So there's an explanation for it other than reparations, but reparations works better when you're trying to pit races against one another. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, you can send me comments on Twitter at comparison underscore show at comparison underscore show. Also go to the website, thecomparisongroup.com.